0: Welcome to The Nail, episode number 41. We are recording on Wednesday night. The Indians are putting the finishing touches on a three-game sweep of the Twins. Trav, you were down there last night for the second game of the series. Uh, how was your night at the Old Ball Yard?
1: Uh, it was good once they yanked Josh Talman out of there. Um, it's fun. I mean, it's always fun to go to an Indians game, obviously. Uh, I was... Not that many folks there last night. I think we're just a tick under twelve thousand, so uh, <laughs> we had plenty of no no obstruction of vision. I should say, I guess
0: we uh, we might get back into that that topic here as we go along. But uh, since you mentioned Tomlin, let's start there. I think the Indians announced today that they're going uh, to skip him and his next start. And I don't know if that's just for his next start or if that's the plan going forward. But I looked up his numbers in August, and they were as gruesome as you might expect.
1: Yeah, it doesn't get much worse for a starting pitcher.
0: 0-5, and that does not include uh, the Indians getting him off the hook last night because uh, I guess he got a no decision out of that. Uh, an eleven forty eight ERA, and the number that really blew my mind. I knew the home runs were bad, but just um, – Serving up batting practice in general, 46 hits in 26 and two-thirds innings pitched. Yeah. That's uh, that's not going to fly.
1: He's been a debacle. I mean, I think the the weird part is early in the season he pitched really well, obviously, for the first few months. And we, we thought, I think if we were all being honest, we realized, yeah, he was probably playing a little better than we expected him to. Uh, we expected him to come down to earth. But he has, uh, he has crashed crashed miserably back to the earth and it's a complete night and day difference between what he was doing earlier in the season it's not just that he's he's regressed to the mean he's just a debacle in in every way shape and form at this point
0: well the thing that's frustrating for me is even early in the year when he was winning games and, and pitching pretty well he was still giving up home runs here and there and the thing you kept hearing was well they're just solo home runs so it's okay But if you're going to keep giving up home runs, the law of averages says that eventually some of those are going to start happening with runners on base. And it just seems like all of them have come with runners on base for the most part. Although I guess the one notable exception was last night. Had you even gotten through the gates when he gave up a home run on the very first pitch of the game?
1: No, I was standing in line waiting to get my beer still. Mm. I I had just ordered my beer. I'm like, all right, we got a couple minutes and the line took a little longer than I expected. But so we get up there and I, they, you know, they do the intros and I see I'm looking on the screen. I, I ask the person, hey, can I get a, a beer or whatever? And literally two seconds later, I glance up and I see the ball exiting uh, the stadium in a hurry. And I'm like, well, shit, it's going to be one of those kind of nights. <laughs> um, luckily, the bullpen came in and pitched incredibly. Um, they I think I heard last night. Wow. Um, did you just see, are you watching the game?
0: I am. I've got it up in the background here.
1: Clean. Did you see that? That
0: was a great catch.
1: A laser. Anyways, sorry. No Uh-oh.
0: glove or anything either. That's, that, that, that's just impressive. Just
1: stabbed it. Wow. Um,
0: oh, one handed, no less. <laughs> Bravo. With,
1: with a beer in his hand and everything. Wow. Uh, anyways, like I was saying, um, so yeah, we thought it was going to be those kind of nice. I think the stat I heard yesterday was, um. I want to say it was 21 innings since the bullpen's given up a run, which is pretty incredible. Um, I don't know if we realized how well Dan Otero is pitching this year.
0: I had no idea. I knew he had been kind of a a reliable second tier setup man. But yeah, like you're saying, his numbers have been fantastic and uh, really a, a nice addition to the pen.
1: The lowest, I think they just said on the broadcast tonight, the lowest ERA uh, from a reliever in the majors, uh, and Andrew Miller is second. So uh, that's that's reassuring, I guess. It, it's kind of frustrating that you have to keep having your bullpen come in and pitch six innings, but um, I guess th- they've been effective enough, so you can't complain too much. Yeah, it's kind
0: of a tale of almost two staffs, it seems like, between the starters and the relievers, because... Um, like you said, Otero's been awesome. Andrew Miller has been every bit as good, if not better, than advertised. When uh, the Indians acquired him at the trade deadline, uh, one twenty-three ERA, uh, twenty-four strikeouts, and just one walk uh, in the fourteen and two-thirds innings since he uh, joined the Indians.
1: Uh, Watching him pitch is just incredible. I don't, I don't know. I don't know about you. I, I knew he was a good reliever, but. Watching the way that guys just he just makes guys look silly every single time he comes out, I feel like. And, I've never
0: seen hitters look more uncomfortable. No. I mean like, it's almost none like of them, uh, they
1: look clueless, like they have no idea what they're doing.
0: It, it reminds me a lot of like watching Randy Johnson pitch. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a good that's a good analogy, actually. I mean not just body type too, because he's obviously a really tall, long, lanky kind of guy. But um yeah, just the way that, that slider he has, the way that it just Guys think it's going to be two feet outside, and by the time they swing, it's a foot inside on them. But they're falling to the ground, <laughs> looking, looking like it's me, basically. Um, it's incredible watching him. I, I don't know if if you realized that that's what he did to people. Because I don't know, I didn't watch him that often. Obviously, when he was pitching somewhere else, but um, he's, I mean, he's clearly been worth uh, everything they give up for him so far. Um, you just kind of like to see, you know preferably that the starters give give you a few more innings, I guess, before we have to go to those guys.
0: That's the thing. That was what I was going to get into when I was talking about a tale of two staffs because as great as the bullpen's been, um, quietly, outside of Corey Kluber, who was very good again tonight, the rest of the starting rotation, especially Tomlin, but even the other three, has been kind of shaky since the all-star break.
1: Both kind of hit or miss. Like, they're not... like steady average they're either you know bad bad or they're you know they're putting like a one-run game up through like seven or eight innings like salazar the other day he had two awful games and then he came back and put a really good game forward so it's like him they were kind of saying you know he's he's having some i don't know it's all on his head at this point and then you you texted to me that tito kind of called him out put him on a put him on blast a little bit that maybe he wasn't putting the work in so Um, maybe, hopefully Tito pushed the right buttons and, and we start to see that Salazar some more, the guy that we saw in the first half comes back, um, Carrasco, I don't know, I guess, I I think he's probably, um, I I hope at least that he's going to come back to what we expect from him, but if they're going to go four man rotation for now, at least skipping Tomlin's next start, they're not going to be able to go four the rest of the season, but, um, in the playoffs, obviously, they're going to go to a four-man, and Tomlin will be sort of – I do don't—I doubt he'll even make the playoff roster at this point unless he's in the bullpen.
0: Let me ask you this. Just how much do you think losing Jan Gomes has affected the starting rotation? Because it was one of those things – actually, it was my mom that was the first person that pointed out the, the correlation to me that if you look at the starters I, – I, I just pulled up on baseball reference – the starting rotation stats for post all-star break. And I think Gomes got hurt less than a week after that. So it's pretty close to the same amount of time, but just post all-star break. Salazar's got an ERA of nine. Carrasco's at 4.25 and Bowers at 4.59. So uh, those three in particular, and and that doesn't even get into the the dumpster fire that Tomlin's been. Um, So outside of Kluber, it, it really kind of feels like I don't know if that's just a coincidence or if maybe we just didn't give Gomes enough credit for the game he was calling behind the plate and the way he was handling the staff. Yeah,
1: I mean, I don't know. I always sort of under I think I underestimate that. I'm not sure I really understand how much that can impact a game. I know obviously they say that it does a lot, but um, correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't didn't wasn't Bauer usually pitching to Perez anyways? Yes. So I, it's, that's probably not the issue there, I would think. Um, it's possible with Carrasco, I guess. Um, with Salazar, it feels like he's so far off that it's, it's more than that. Um, that may be a factor, but I don't know if that's a huge one. With Carrasco, maybe, but um, I don't know. I, I, I'm thinking no. I think probably the bigger factor is that, you know, for a couple months there we were basically trotting out a national league lineup um where our ninth guy was pretty much guaranteed out every time i think that was a bigger issue than the guy behind the plate was the guy when that guy came up to bat
0: that's fair that's fair um i mean the one good thing i will say with with the rotation here is that all three of those guys outside of tomlin have If they haven't been able to string together a lot of quality starts in a row, they've at least shown signs of life here and there. And it's just been a matter of getting consistent. And you kind of hope I, – I don't think any of those guys are dead in the water. And I, I have reason to believe that they can all be productive and, and get back to where they were at the, the first half of the year. So that will definitely be something for them to uh, – for us to really keep an eye on here. You know, as for Gomes, I think I read today – Sounds like with some of the roster moves that they made, they had to shift like what his designation was on the disabled list. And he could be cleared as soon as the middle of September. But I mean, if you're the Indians, could you really even count on him? Cause like one of his, I think he kind of had like two injuries at once there. And I know that his shoulder on his, his throwing arm was, um, one of the injuries that he suffered. And if you know that a big part of his value is being able to throw guys out who are trying to steal, and you're coming back from an injured shoulder. I, I just that might be something that teams try to take advantage of. And, and, and like you said, I mean, Gomes along with the other catchers, it's not like any of them have been really setting the world on fire at the plate. So, uh, I, I don't know um, how much yeah, they can really count on was, I
1: mean, him. Gomes wasn't really having that good of a season, season even before he got hurt. But, um, I mean, compared to what Roberto Perez was giving you, know, it's night and day difference. I mean. Perez was just a train wreck for, you know, a vast majority of the season. I think he had four hits the other night and on the season before that he had eight total, <laughs> which is just a depressing number. Like
0: Well, the good news is he has gotten the batting average. I saw a little while ago he's gotten the batting batting average up over 150. So
1: Oh, okay. Believe that's, it or yeah, not, that is
0: trending upward.
1: That's uplifting.
0: It's something we can we can build on this.
1: But no kidding, I was kind of hoping that uh, the Twins would just uh, forget Kurt Suzuki and Cleveland when they left town. Um, but it looks like for some reason they're holding on to him. I thought for sure he was probably going to get dealt somewhere. Yeah, probably not to Cleveland, but I didn't think he'd stay with Minnesota. But
0: that would have made uh, a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, I thought so. But it looks like they're going to stand pat for whatever reason.
0: Hmm. Well, hey, you know the other guy besides Andrew Miller that. The Indians got at the trade deadline at the end of July, early August there. Brandon Geyer, and we didn't really talk a whole lot about him at the time. Uh, Honestly, I didn't really know anything about him before the Indians acquired him. But, I mean, just to be honest, I think he's been fantastic since he's been here. He's been a little bit of a target in terms of getting hit by pitches. But, uh, uh, you know, batting average over over 300, um, on base percentage at 441. Uh, he has been a really solid and he's gotten a lot of playing time in the past week or so, because I think the Indians now tonight was like the sixth time in seven games that they faced a left handed starter from the opposing team. So what have you thought of of Geyer? Are you surprised by how much he's been able to do?
1: Yeah, he's been a pleasant surprise. I mean, they weren't they didn't use him a bunch when he first came here. Like you said, they've kind of been saving him to go against the lefties. Um but yeah, no. I mean, it's hard to be too disappointed in what what he's given you, considering how little uh, like fanfare followed him here. Um, I think we, at the time we were more like pumped about Andrew Miller, pissed about Luke Croy, and then it was like, oh, here's this guy none of us know anything about. So, sure, whatever. But um, no, I think I think he's a good. He turned out to be a really good addition. Um, he's sort of that situational guy though, where they're really only going to hit him against lefties. It seems like. Um, but like, can't complain about it. It certainly looks like uh, he was worth the price of admission.
0: Yeah, if he's executing in that role, you know, more power to him. But
1: yeah, that's that's what we said when he came here. We knew he wasn't going to be like an everyday player, batting 300 and driving in a ton of runs or anything. We knew he's going to be this guy that you know play, hits pretty well against lefties and gives you those quality at bats when you need him, and that's what he's done. So yeah, I mean, can't complain about it.
0: So today, as we hit the the waiver trade deadline, uh, Coco Crisp officially. Um, comes back to the Indians. That news first broke last night. I think I actually texted you before you had gotten a chance to check it out. You might have been stuck in the beer line or whatever. But uh, you uh, not not a not a big fan of Coco.
1: I never was. I'm not sure. He's one of those guys that just historically oh, I always found it kind of annoying. I don't know why. I think it was always like he always had you know he had the afro like sticking out the side of his hat and stuff like that. Like I never really cared for that. I did see actually that recently. I'm not sure how recently, but he now has the shaved head look. He looks a little more acceptable to me. And, and, and keep in mind, my opinion had absolutely nothing to do with his play. It was purely based on just like looking at him. He, I found him annoying, and that was it. So, um, I, I guess hopefully he gives you some quality, uh, some quality at bats. He's going to need to sort of replace Almonte, I think, because um, I think we kind of. Um, I'm not you and I specifically, but I don't know that people are really addressing like, yeah, our our outfield is OK, but it's already not that deep. And then we're going to lose Almonte. So um, yeah. I guess he fills that role. And hopefully that's hopefully he comes in any place. So he hasn't been having that great of a season, but he's probably it sounds like my guess is he's about the best we could do.
0: Well, that was, there there are a couple interesting things about this. Yeah. Number one, his overall stats this year, he's been a part-time player. The A's are trying to get some of their younger guys a little bit more experience and getting them some extra at-bats just because they're not going anywhere this year. But the one thing with Coco that's been pretty impressive is he actually has the highest batting average in the league with runners in scoring position. And, um, and he's uh, in 66 at-bats, I think it was, with runners in scoring position. He actually has nine extra base hits. So, you know, when he's getting a chance to produce and and drive in some runs, he's he's doing the job. So that's always got to be appealing when you get into those big game situations down the stretch of the regular season or potentially in the playoffs. The other thing that I thought was really interesting was I heard something tonight before the, the, the game tonight that um, apparently the Indians – tried putting in waiver claims on a hundred different players and were beaten out by, you know, in just about every case. Cause that's Holy like, cow, the,
1: really?
0: that's yeah. You know, just for anybody not really aware of how this whole thing works is like, once you get into the month of August, you can still make a trade, but a team has to put a player on waivers. And then like the team with the worst record in the league gets first crack at them if they want to claim them. And then if you get to claim the player, then you have to work out a trade like you would any other time of the year. So
1: which which seems so bizarre to me because I feel like you can like if you're I don't know, if you're some garbage team, you can just throw claims in and, and you don't have to actually negotiate. I mean you can go on, you know, offer some crazy price and you just keep guys from being moved around.
0: Well, there have definitely been instances where teams have put in claims on players just to prevent them from going to other teams. Now, right. why a like bottom feeder team would want to be messing around with stuff like well, that, I'm like, not really I, sure. Think but think like, like
1: Detroit. Say Detroit wanted to stop the Indians from getting someone. Sure. They could go out there and throw a ton of claims out there and keep anyone from, you know, basically prevent any I, of those teams ahead of them.
0: I vaguely remember this, and I could be totally misremembering, but I vaguely remember a story with the Indians in like the mid to late 90s where they were like trying to – I think it was like trying to trying to make a trade for Chuck Knobloch and somebody swooped in and and blocked him and the and the team that had him at the time it was probably the Twins. I guess had to pull him back off of waivers because um, yeah, I mean I, I that's the thing with like when you're in first place like the Indians are right now, you got basically you're one of the last teams to get a shot in any of these players that get put on waivers. So um, whether Coco was their first choice or their one hundredth, I guess we'll. Never really know, Um, and maybe they wanted to make some other deals but got blocked on some players. But, yeah, it certainly seems like they've been very active in the last couple of weeks trying to get something done. And just as an aside, like you mentioned, so Almonte, you know, he missed the first 80 games of the year with the PED suspension. Hey, that's totally legit. If the guy was, you know, using a substance that's uh, on the banned list or whatever, then you got to pay the price for that. That said, I think also making him ineligible for the postseason is incredibly lame. I mean, the, the, it's it's supposed to be an eighty-game suspension. He served his eighty games. He's playing now the entire second and a half of the year. I think it's it's dumb that all of a sudden he has to go away again when the yeah, postseason starts. I, think, I don't like it.
1: And I'm not, I'm drawing a blank on the moment on the uh, the player who was basically the catalyst for it because I can't remember who it was, but someone last year. I think it might have been Peralta, maybe who um was uh he, he got busted for it and sat and then came back and then a really good postseason and then made a bunch of money and signed a big contract after and everyone was like well that's not much you know not much of a incentive you know not not to to take PDs or whatever because clearly I mean yeah he sat 50 games but then he went and got a big contract so I sort of see the logic behind it I see why they did it but yeah I'm with you I don't I don't I think it's you know sort of so, double jeopardy, for lack of a better term.
0: Just just to be clear, you're saying that Johnny Peralta benefiting from the old system is why we have these rules in place now.
1: I th- I think that I- I'm not sure if it's necess- I'm not sure if it was Peralta or who, but they didn't used to have that rule about not uh, being able to play in the postseason. They added it, and I think it was after that season that Peralta was suspended played pretty well in the playoffs and then signed a huge contract.
0: Well, let the record show that for your irrational disdain for Coco Crisp, I have every bit of as much irrational disdain for Johnny Peralta, and I couldn't stand him when he was on the Indians, and I was thrilled to see him get traded away. So I will – if that is the case and that is how that whole thing shook out and he got to go cash in somewhere else playing for Detroit of all teams – he was with Detroit last year, right? Still?
1: Uh yeah.
0: Yeah, so I hate the Tigers. I do not like Johnny Peralta and a role that he benefited from getting changed to now screw over the Indians. Um and, and that has just exponentially uh ratcheted up my uh, irrational disdain for Johnny be- Peralta. So Is
1: it because the h is in the wrong place? That
0: doesn't help. It, is it-, it doesn't.
1: <laughs> it's 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 definitely a con on the list of
0: <laughs> That's not his fault. He didn't name himself, but um it, I'll just add it to the package, I guess. It's uh, I'm not a fan.
1: Yeah, so here it is, actually. I actually looked it up. So um, it was with the Tigers that he did it. Um, he got suspended for 50 games, returned for the ALDS, um, batted 417, had a really good series, and then signed for four years, $53 million with the Cardinals. Um, so that's why they... That was sort of the catalyst was like, oh, this guy, you know, he took PEDs, took a short, you know, he took a couple months off and then was able to come back, put together a a short stint and there was really no, you know, negative for him. He didn't really actually get punished that well for it, Um, which I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, that is sort of what caused them to put that 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 caveat in there, I guess, behind. Um, any guy that serves a the suspension then can't partake in the postseason but i'm with you i think like if if you're gonna give him 80 games give him 80 games don't say 80 games come back play you know play another 80 games and then you know then you're done
0: We're too done. long didn't read version screw johnny peralta
1: yes uh, oh. seconded seconded
0: <laughs> all right um do we want to get into the attendance thing at all? I, I have some thoughts on this, but it's just one of those topics that's been so beaten into the ground I'm for so s- many years.
1: Uh, um, go to if you're listening, go out to the ballpark. It's fun if you can afford it. Go to everyone who says, um, you know, you can get in the door for fifteen bucks. Blah blah blah. A, it's going to be eight, It's probably going to be twenty bucks after the fees. B, I went last night, got the thirteen dollar tickets. Had a very conservative evening with my lady. Still spent $120 for for two of us. Because we had to go down and pay for parking. We bought two beers a piece. Well, we bought basically a beer and a half because they have 12-ounce beers. Um, Grabbed dinner. We got tacos at Barrio, so it wasn't like we went to a fancy dinner. But I'm not going to tell anyone how to spend their money. But it's not. It's never cheap to go to these events, even if you're go- even if you get cheap tickets, it's still going to cost you more money. So I'm not going to judge anyone for not going. That being said, there's no reason that the Indians should be like bottom three or four in the league in attendance. Other teams are able to pull people, and for whatever reason, the Indians just can't. I'm I'm going to this year. I guess I'm going to blame it on sort of a hangover from the Cavs <laughs> because people probably spent a lot of time and money. Um, into celebrating that and right afterwards, you know, they're sort of enjoying it and they'll probably wait for the uh, postseason again, but as far as getting into it, I'm not even sure there's really anything to, more to go about.
0: All right. So I, I have a different theory on this and it I actually goes all there. the way, all the way back to 2002, which was like the first year after the, the roof kind of fell in on the team I was and they a had
1: senior to, in high school. Too.
0: There you go. So yeah, you're a senior in high school. I was in college at the time. I was home for the summer and I worked as an usher at the stadium. And if you remember, like, oh, one was the last year that they really made the playoffs of of that, you know, 90s era Indians group that that core group together. And oh, two was the first year they started off the year with like 10 straight wins or something like that. And everybody thought they were going to be fine. But then it unraveled very quickly, and then they started selling players off. And that was when it became really clear that there was a rebuilding effort on. And the attendance that year was still fine because their season ticket base was so strong from all those winning seasons. But you had a lot of fans that were really unhappy. And I could specifically remember as an usher at that time, um, all of the the staff there, we got pulled into these coaching sessions during the game for like an inning and basically it was on messaging and what we're supposed to tell the fans and i have no idea if they're still doing this sort of thing now and they probably don't need to this year with just how well the team is playing but um it it was just kind of explaining to people how the indians were able to build their success in the early to mid 90s and how they're basically going to try to go into the same process again, and it was really, and it was just kind of the first domino in this whole process of them really trying to create an atmosphere at the ballpark that was still going to make it a fun time for fans in and in a fun place to be, regardless of wins and losses on the field. And in some aspects I think it was good and I think in other aspects it kind of backfired. It was either the last year or the year before when Mark Shapiro was here, he had that really awful quote about um if the only reason you're coming here is for wins and losses, then then don't come or something like that. Uh it was just another symptom of that. But you just you see a it's lot like of you the
1: things for Buffalo.
0: Yeah. <laughs> not quite that bad, <laughs> but uh we'll we'll get to that team next. But um yeah, it was just there's a lot of things that they've done. I mean, it's been renovations to the park with building that awesome bar, uh, the corner bar down in in right field, adding in the restaurants like you said, Barrio and Sweet Moses, and
1: really quickly on that bar, it's cool. You can't see the game. You might no. As, there's no point. Truthfully, there's people I know that go and watch the game at the bar in the stadium. I don't see the point, but that's completely separate. Continue.
0: Well, that, that's my point, though, is it's like it's again, it's another entertainment option and it's not really necessarily geared with wins and losses in mind on the field of play. And, you know, you've got dollar dog night and fireworks night and giveaways and all of those things, um, again, are kind of geared towards Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And if you think about it, when are you like take sports out of the equation. If you're just like going out for like a night in the town, like what nights are you going out? Friday.
1: Friday
0: you're going Saturday. out Friday night, Saturday night, and you might do something on Sunday afternoon. If you feel like getting out of the house and it's a nice day, one of the Indians drawing the best and they're going to be drawing well again this weekend, Friday night, Saturday night, and still pretty well on Sunday afternoons. So like it's the whole deal is like, I, I just did. Everybody just assumes that, like, there's going to be this really strong correlation between wins and losses and and attendance for the team. And it's just, I feel like the Indians, whether they've been overtly trying to do it or just passively trying to do it, it, it they've kind of conditioned people away from that. And I think, like, even before this year, like, just how much, how many of their commercials that were all gathered or geared towards all the things except what was going on in the field. So, um, I think that stuff is, is kind of mattered. and I think now you can't just magically expect well, they're in first place, uh, people are going to come flooding to the gates. I just – I don't think it works that way. The yeah, flip I side of this
1: that's, 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 that's an angle I hadn't really considered, I guess and I think that's that's a good point. I, I hadn't even thought that far back or that it was something that maybe had been built up this much over time, but that's that's probably valid. You probably have a good point there.
0: Well thank you. The flip side of this, I also do think there's a little bit of this on the fans, and I'm probably going to make some people faint here. I'm going to come to the defense of the Dolans a little bit, because the irony here is that for years since they've owned the team, we as a fan base have dragged them for being cheap and and not signing big money players and, and not having a huge payroll. But if you really look at it, the way they're running the team is not that different from the way Dick Jacobs ran the team in the nineties. I mean, the Indians might have gone out back then and and I think the payroll disparity between the haves and the have nots wasn't quite as outrageous as it is now. But um and the Indians did make a couple of big signings. Like I know Jack McDowell in ninety-six was added to the pitching staff, and they had brought in some other players as well. But the real core of that team in the 90s was Bell, Bayerga, Lofton, Sandy Alomar, Charles Nagy, guys that they brought up through their system and were able to sign. And this was like the, the exact message that we were coached up on in 02 was John Hart signed all these guys to long-term deals early in their career and and, and built the team that way. And you kind of look at, like, the Indians now. Yeah, they've added some complimentary pieces, like uh, a Mike Napoli or Rajai Davis uh, and those types. But, I mean, the core of this team, it's Francisco Lindor, it's it's Tyler Naquin, it's um, Jason Kipnis, Carrasco, uh, um, Grant, Salazar. Grantley,
1: if you can ever get healthy.
0: All, yeah, I mean, all those guys that, you know, have come up through their system again. And I, I just... I don't think it's necessarily that different. And then the other thing even beyond that is it's like, you know, you get people that are just like, you know, I, I heard some dumbass on calling in ninety two three last week saying that he ended up spending like $1,500 to go see an Indians game in Kansas City. Like he traveled to Kansas City and saw the team play there because he refused to come here and give the Dolans a dollar of his money because he hates the way they run the team. Like, hey, don't get me wrong. Like, if you want to travel to go see the Indians, it's awesome. I've done it a couple of times. I went and saw them in Detroit. I went and saw them in Chicago. It's awesome. And you should absolutely take advantage of an opportunity like that if you can. But you shouldn't be doing that in spite of or, or instead of going uh, to your backyard when, when you've got games here in town. Um, if you really look at it, like the correlation between payroll and, and, and production has never been lower than it is right now, and and this notion that well we just got to you know spend like drunken sailors to win, it it's just it, it's not based in reality anymore. And I mean, if you want to cheer for the team that spends the most, then you know, do you care more about that or do you care more about um, the teams that are actually winning and doing well?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at uh, if you look at the current MLB uh, payrolls and compare them to um you know standings there's not a there's not a very strong correlation between those teams that are spending a ton of money um so i that's weird because you have to yeah you do need to spend money but you got to spend it smart too like you you can't just go out those teams that the yankees were putting together in the 2000s where they were just you know spending like crazy and winning a world series every couple of years um that, you just i just don't think you can do it anymore um, you have to build it smart and those those free agent signings you can't win off of those you need to have a really good foundation and then supplement it with one or two of those occasionally um and the Indians they've they've tried it at times i mean they tried it with born and swisher and those both failed unfortunately but um i i'm with you i, I think the whole the Dolans are cheap thing. Maybe they were at one point. Um, You're still mad because they didn't pony up the cash for Jim Tomey. Okay. Uh, They turn out to be right on that, by the way. Let's ignore that. But um, it's it's just like this thing that people just keep going back to for whatever reason. And I don't – why would you give money to your opponent when you can – go see your team right behind you for way less money I, i'm with you that i didn't hear that phone call but that guy sounds like an idiot whoever he is yeah adam um, the bull and you,
0: dustin fox did not give him very long before I hope, right?
1: I hope he listens to the podcast um and hears us calling him an idiot because that's just that's just something that makes no sense to me oh
0: all right i i'm i'm off my soapbox now and i, I didn't even want that conversation to go that long but Anyway, it's just one of those things that irks me. I don't think the Dolans are perfect, but I also just – I don't think they deserve all of the disdain that they get. And, you know, it's probably going to take a long time if it ever turns. But uh, we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, speaking of teams that um, draw a lot of ire and frustration, although I have a fan base that's far more forgiving at the box office, our uh, Cleveland Browns made some uh, interesting roster moves in the past couple of days they they cut Paul Kruger and they traded their punter Andy Lee to Carolina what uh, what do you think of those moves and, and just the overall state of the roster right now
1: I think um I think what do I think I think the Paul Kruger one was kind of weird I'm not totally sure um, I don't really know the motivation behind it maybe they just thought he didn't have a spot on the team and just decide. I mean, it could just be they just didn't think, you know, he fit what they wanted to do, so they cut him loose. The Andy Lee one to me just – I know everyone is saying that it's because he didn't make a tackle in a preseason game, which – I don't
0: think that was actually – I hope
1: that's not the only factor. But it it also tells me they're not – they're not worried about putting the best team on the field this year which is sort of sounds like code word for tanking, but I'm not sure that's really it either. I'm not sure that's a fair term. I think they're they're putting, I think the future is definitely more important than this year, but they do still want to put, um, they want to win this year with pieces that are going to be useful to them in the long term, if that makes sense.
0: No, that's a great way to put it. That, that's that exactly describes what I think they're trying to do right now. And uh, the Andy Lee Lee thing really had me kind of scratching my head. But um, up until the point that I saw that they're getting a fourth rounder in return for him. And
1: once I found out
0: that they had a team that was willing to give them a fourth round pick for a punter, I I said, you have to do that deal 10 times out of 10. If you're in the position that the Browns are in right now, you need extra picks. And, you know, who knows, maybe they'll, this regime will, be as terrible at drafting as all the ones that came before it. And, you know, draft picks aren't worth much if you don't know how to draft. But you got to load yourself up with as many picks as you can if you want to try to turn the roster over. And um, the Paul Kruger one I thought was was interesting just in that. And he already, I guess, signed with or, or agreed to a deal at least with New Orleans, the Saints. Yeah. So uh, they obviously think he's still got something in the tank. But, you know, some of the other guys that they cleared out early – like uh, Brian Hartline and Dante Wittner, uh tells me that, you know, they, they, the fact that they got rid of those guys so early on, way back in the springtime, and yet at the same time, they let Kruger hang around on the roster all the way through the third preseason game before they cut him, it tells me uh, the, the one scenario that kind of came up in my head was that. They were looking for somebody who might still have a be able to provide um, a leadership presence and could be the grown up in the room for their team and and but they needed somebody who could still play and basically gave him like every opportunity in the world to win a job and they thought he just frankly wasn't good enough anymore and he didn't have enough in the tank to justify the salary that he was making. I, I think they actually if they were if they had no interest in, in keeping him around. I, I think he'd have been gone a lot sooner. I, I, I think it's telling that he got three preseason games before they cut him.
1: Yeah, it was kind of weird that they cut him so late. I think you're probably right. They wanted, they just expected more of him on the field, I think, than he was able to give him. I think he's, he probably did give him that veteran leadership that we talk about that shows up in, you know, shows up in film room and, and stuff like that. But I I just think he probably wasn't able to give him enough production actually on the field. And they they figured they might as well just cut their losses and let him go somewhere where he can contribute, which is fine. Okay, I'm fine with that as far as the but back to the Andy Lee thing. I mean, um, uh, as you know, I uh, I worship at the altar of trestle ball where we believe that the punt is the most important play in football, (laughs) but the punter's not going to make the difference as important as a good punter is. And as important as, uh, and as well as I thought Andy Lee did a punters, not going to make a big difference for this team. No, that, and that's so at first I sort of looked at it as like, well, they're not trying to win this year, but at the same time, I, I also, it doesn't really matter how good their punter is. They could have an amazing punter out there. There's, it's not going to, the war for the punter is zero. It's not going to make a difference. You know so. some
0: people that I, honestly I I thought that was one of Ray Farmer's best moves that he made here and and that's kind of telling in and of itself uh, that a, bringing in a punter is one of your best moves but I think he did see as he was trying to to build the Browns the last couple of years that you know if you do have a good punter you can tilt the field and get that field position advantage and kind of make up for the sins of of having a depleted Uh, offense which by the way was also his doing and led to his undoing but um you know i i I just it's like you said i mean with where the browns are right now a fourth round draft pick even if it's in 2018 is more valuable to them than a good punter and if you're a carolina who you know you're still in super bowl contention and and your your winning time is now a punter who can give you those extra five yards or whatever and and kind of flip the field a little bit like that is way more valuable than a draft pick two years from now. So it it was one of those deals that I actually thought made sense for both sides.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I think so at first it it sort of just seemed like a weird move, you know, just another decent player they're getting rid of. But after I thought about it, I think I came down and figured, you know, what, what the hell it gives them someone who could turn into a contributor down the road for him versus a guy who, yeah, he's a good player and a contributor last year, but not going to change much in terms of the win loss column. Sure,
0: you know, and just one last other point on on Kruger. I wanted to get in I, again another piece of evidence that makes me question as to just how big of a role he can have on a good team. Don't forget, uh, either a day or two before that. Barkebius Mingo got traded to New England for a fifth rounder. And we have seen what a bust he's been here. Now you can maybe draw some conclusions along the lines of maybe Bill Belichick's got a very specialized role in mind for Mingo. And and, and he could be kind of a specialist, so to speak. And, you know, he's got a Belichick, just given his history, has a lot more uh, leeway to play with in terms of getting creative with the player acquisitions and whatnot and figured it was worth a roll of the dice. But it just, it's interesting to me that Mingo who has been a bust for pretty much the entire time since he's been in the league for the most part was able to fetch a fifth rounder and you couldn't get anything in return for Kruger.
1: Yeah. I think Belichick. Yeah. He, because of the structure they have there and the stability within the program, they can they can take risks and it's the risk is usually very minimal um, with potential for a large reward. So he, he goes after a guy like Mingo. I think I think we can both agree that physically, athletically, Mingo has a lot more to offer. He's he's obviously very raw, but um, and yeah, like you said, he's been a bust so far and hasn't been that productive. But if Everything that New England does is based around the idea that if we get this guy into our system, we can turn him into what we want him to be. And if we don't, then we let him go and move our own other way. I don't think you're doing that with Kruger. You know what Kruger is. Um, And they already have guys that do that. Mango's much more flexible, and I think he's probably much has a lot more potential to be molded into something. Whether that happens or not, I have no idea. But he's the kind of guy that New England goes out. And gets traditionally well, Kruger is more of just like this sort of washed up guy who can't really produce much for you anymore.
0: I'll be very interested to see what the Patriots are able to do with Mingo and they yeah, probably I mean, like, be
1: Pro Bowl safety in two years. And well, yeah, you
0: know, that's the thing. Like, I mean, you see what they've done with Jabal Shear. I mean, that, to be fair, Jabal Shear was actually pretty good when he was here. Yeah, he was a solid. And player, I was sure. I, that was one of those guys I was actually. Kind of unhappy to see get away but um you know mingo yeah he's a fantastic athlete he's he's super quick but you cannot play outside linebacker in the nfl if you're also light enough to qualify for the cruiserweight division in wwe and and he's just not big enough and that's why i'm wondering for, like,
1: for the record what is the cruiserweight division
0: i believe it's under 230 pounds
1: okay all right and I had, last I, I saw, have, I think, no career,
0: I think, uh, Bingo is around what? Like two two
1: two twenty, I want to say, yeah, yeah there that's you go. probably about right. Yeah.
0: So I'm,
1: I'm with you. I think he's, he's just a guy who he was able to get by in college because he wasn't going against guys that are that much bigger and stronger than he was. And he was a good player in college and he had a ton of ability, like, talent-wise, he has a lot of talent. He just doesn't have the size to play any position that, you know, like he's not big enough to play a linebacker. He's not quick enough or fast enough to be a DB. He's just sort of a weird, awkward shape to be a DB too. But he just doesn't – he's sort of – he's those tweeners we always hear about. Um, but who knows? Watch, he'll probably – they'll probably find some very specific role for him in New England and he'll – I guess if that's all he has to do, that'll work. But you couldn't have him on the – you can't have those type of guys on the Browns. You don't have the depth to account for it, unfortunately.
0: No. Well, if anybody can revitalize his career, it would be the the evil genius in the hoodie. So we'll see what happens. Um, Speaking of of head coaches and uh, back to the Browns, I sent you a link to the article that NFL.com posted today about Hugh Jackson. Did you get a chance to check that out?
1: I did. It was pretty fascinating. Uh,
0: two big takeaways I had from that. Number one, I found it shocking that he apparently was like bedridden for multiple days yeah, with like a borderline of the flu, borderline life threatening illness, and nobody in Cleveland knew about it until almost nine or until almost six months later.
1: Yeah, crazy.
0: How, how in the name of God do you cover something like that up if you're in as high profile a position as head coach of an NFL football team?
1: Yeah, I mean, they said he was in the hospital for three days. Right. When's the last time he went three days without talking to the media or anything?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's quiet time. But, I mean, even so, like, free agency was going on. And that was one of the things they talked about was how the, the Browns were kind of in a little bit of a state of disarray. And, and I don't know how much Hugh Jackson, his illness, kind of contributed to that. But it certainly didn't help. Uh, the other thing, though, it really, on the whole, and, I mean, I think it's been well established that the writer who did that piece uh, Mike Silver of NFL.com has got a pretty good relationship with Hugh Jackson. So if anybody was going to paint a very rosy picture of the the outlook for the future for the Browns with, with Hugh Jackson at the helm, I think that was certainly the writer you would expect to do it. But um, it was a really well-written article, don't get me wrong. But I, I guess the, the one question I have is like, yeah, he's certainly um, set a very good tone at this point And some of the examples that were being cited, like uh, just the way that the, the team rolled out things for the very first day before Hugh Jackson could even have contact with the players, just when they were coming in for workouts, how structured and organized and regimented everything was going to be. And 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 just this culture change was the phrase that you kept hearing. And, and just how positive and upbeat and, and revitalized a lot of the veterans that have been through the wars with some of these past coaches have been. I feel like we're at the point of the cycle with these coaching changes where everything always seems great with the new guy. My question is what's going to happen and what are the quotes going to look like when we're about seven weeks into the season and the team is probably no better than one in six.
1: See, the problem is we've always crushed these guys when they've been honest in the past and said, you know, it's a process. It's going to be a while. It's going to take time, blah, blah, blah. Um, until we get good, that's what it is, and I think it's okay to say that. Players aren't really allowed to say it because they kind of have to – I mean, they have to go out and try to win every week. Um, I hope it, – it, it'll be interesting. I think that's that's sort of the big, the big question this year is to see how guys handle losing while trying – continuing to try to win, I guess it's in the past. We've seen them kind of, I don't know if the season starts to get away from them. They just kind of, I, I personally think they've just folded up and kind of quit, which whatever. Okay. That is what it is. But um, yeah, the buy-in for Hugh seems different than we've seen for guys in the past. Um, because like Joe Hayden said in the article, the Browns finally got a guy that like other teams wanted. They finally got their first choice. They didn't have to settle for, you know, the the seventh guy on their list. Um, So hopefully um, they did in fact get the right guy. And he instills that kind of confidence in guys that even if, you know, the wins aren't coming right now that they're taking the proper stride so that they'll be there in the future.
0: We'll uh, we'll definitely get more into the Browns. Uh, next week, I think we'll probably dive headfirst into a full season preview on them. But uh, yeah, just the, the note I want to wrap up on with them, I, I do think that if this is going to be the regime that finally finds success here and, and does turn things around, I think this is going to be as hard of a year as any coaching staff and regime has ever faced here in Cleveland because they're really going harder at the bottom, bottoming out in order to try to get higher than any of the other ones before I've ever gone. So it's going to be a challenge and I just, I hope they're up to it. Yep. All right. Last, uh, last thing here, maybe try to do this quickly here before, uh, before we get out of here, we got uh, college football starting up this weekend, Buckeyes kicking off on Saturday afternoon. They've got Bowling green and uh, a lot of really high profile games going on around the country elsewhere.
1: First off, nice nice schedule for opening weekend.
0: It really is, you know. I'm I'm, since you mentioned that, with the fact that like these teams in college don't have exhibition games or preseason games or anything, and um, it's kind of a limited uh, uh, length of uh, two days. Even, um, I mean, you're pretty much hit and go right off the bat. Is it kind of crazy that some of these teams are taking? such difficult matchups in week one
1: um i don't know because i know in the past like i feel like alabama's done it a few times over the last few years where they've had a decent opponent to start the season this year they're starting at usc um which i don't know if that's as difficult an opponent as they probably thought it was when they scheduled it i don't know how long ago that one hit the calendar but um a lot of them are more like sort of fluky matchups like um Oklahoma's playing Houston. Um, Houston, not typically a powerhouse. They're coming off a hell of a season. They're, you know, one of those teams that's definitely trending upward for um, a mid major. But I don't know that anyone, when Oklahoma scheduled that, that they expected it to be a a matchup of two top fifteen teams. Um,
0: oh, that game is at Houston too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know that that's I don't know that that's going to be a big factor, but. Um, but, yeah, that's definitely a much – that's probably a much tougher challenge than Oklahoma expected it to be when they scheduled it. Um, Georgia, North Carolina, that's another top 25 one. Same thing. North Carolina's not not usually much of a power, but, you know, they've been decent over the last few years. And then uh, Ole Miss, Florida State's the premier one. That's on, uh, that's on Monday, actually. That's not on Saturday. But uh, that's who they open up with. Florida State, I'm not sure why – they scheduled Ole Miss because they already always have that standing Florida game on their schedule. Um, and you don't usually see teams with that many with two, you know, sort of premier uh, power five opponents on their non-conference schedules. So kudos to them for stepping up and scheduling tough games. But outside of that, it's, it, it's, it's a good starting slate, but it's not, it's not fantastic by any means. Um, but it's a pretty good start to the season. I think it'll be a couple int- intriguing games there to watch. I honestly that Alabama USC games getting all the attention but I have a feeling that'll be over by halftime.
0: Yeah, probably that one's in Dallas, right?
1: Yeah, that's okay. the, Alabama refuses to play to do the home and home route. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They've if you it's it's embarrassing if you go back, they they schedule some tough teams. But if you go back and look at who they've scheduled, they haven't played like a true road game out of conference against like a decent opponent in like a decade. It's something insane. They refuse to go anywhere. They don't do the home and homes with anyone. They insist on these neutral fields. And I mean, I guess it works for them. So whatever. But
0: the only one that I can remember that they did a real home and home with was Penn State. But even that was, like, well after Penn State had been a real contender in the Big Ten.
1: Right. They weren't – that wasn't a, a premier – it was premier in name. It, it looked good
0: say. in on paper, but –
1: Right. Yeah. You know, Historic teams, but it wasn't a fair matchup by any means.
0: The Oklahoma-Houston game, just one more note on that, and as a Buckeye fan, I think that should be especially interesting because, you know, Ohio State's old – was the offensive coordinator, Tom yeah, Herman? Yeah,
1: Tom Herman, yeah. He is running
0: the show at Houston now, and – for this Runs year. pretty much the same offensive system that the Buckeyes still have in place. So, uh, the, with Ohio state playing Oklahoma two weeks after that, uh, that could be a really interesting, almost like a preview,
1: some valuable tape there for sure.
0: Absolutely. So yeah. that, there, there's uh, a, a good angle for, uh, for the fans here locally for that one, UNC game, uh, with, uh, you know, North Carolina and Georgia, uh, Mitch Trubisky, the old quarterback from Mentor, I, th- I think he's finally got the starting job at, at Carolina, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, he's scheduled to start. They got – um, I think they have a wide receiver there too. The name escapes me, but I believe there's another kid from Mentor, Um
0: Yeah, you're right.
1: Now, and I can't, I can't recall his name. But uh, f- locally, yeah, that's an intriguing one to look at because you got some of those local names. Um, but for those of you that maybe like to make games a little more interesting um, – <laughs> Oklahoma giving Houston 11 and a half points. Um, and if you watched Houston in the bowl season last year, um, that's too many. I think uh, even, even if I, I I'm counting on Oklahoma to win, but I don't think they're going to run away with it. Houston can score a lot of points. And I think we, we saw last last year during the postseason, Oklahoma's not necessarily as stout on defenses as we might think they are for uh, their record. They give up a fair amount of points, so that's that's sort of my. I'll just slip that that little teaser in there if you're looking for a pick for the weekend.
0: I like it. the uh, The other game that we have not mentioned at all, but should also be kind of interesting, Wisconsin playing LSU, and that game's at Lambeau Field. So uh, that 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 could be a fun Wisconsin has, I was listening on the radio the other day, just an insane schedule this year. They basically got like every good team in the Big Ten. Through like the first four or five weeks of their Big Ten schedule, and they've got this LSU game, and I think they've got another tough non-conference game as well. So,
1: no, uh. their non-conference is wide open because they switched to the to the. I'm not sure if you if, who noticed this, but they switched to the nine-game season for Big Ten this year. Um, so there's only three non-conference games. or other. I know they play Akron. Um and then they play Georgia State. So Okay, yeah, you're it's right. LSU, but yeah, then they play Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, and Iowa to open their Big Ten slate, which is just murderer's row this year. So yeah, that's that's a rough way to start. They could they could easily be uh I mean, there's a high likelihood that they need to win out uh their last five games just to get bowl eligible.
0: Hmm. That's uh hard to believe. A Wisconsin program could be facing that kind of uh
1: But with that schedule, I mean, even if they were a decent team, that's still a brutal schedule. Um, I'm not sure how that's possible. Three of those games are on the road, by the way. Um, Ohio State's the only team that they get at home. Um, But, yeah, just crazy schedule for them to start. I I don't know that anyone really expected much out of them this year anyways, but um, they're usually good for eight or nine wins, and that's looking like that's going to be – eight would be probably – you know, be like the Browns winning eight.
0: <laughs> well, boy, that's that doesn't go well. Crazy. I don't Maybe know. not
1: that crazy, but um, no uh, thing I was talking about today with one of my other buddies. Do you think the NCAA should waive the just for the LSU Wisconsin game, the rule about people jumping into st- players, jumping into stands? If you're a college kid playing at Lambeau Field, you should be able to do a Lambeau leap, right?
0: I might consider taking the 15 yards and doing it's, it's it anyway. It's
1: probably worth it. It's probably worth it. But I feel like the NCAA should say, you know what, go for it this week only.
0: I have a feeling that if if Wisconsin can pull the upset in that game, you're going to see uh, all 90 kids or however many are dressed basically jumping in every direction over the wall and into the crowd at the final gun.
1: But I would the, fully respect, even if NCAA didn't do anything, I would fully respect the Zebras if they just uh, looked the other way.
0: They should. I, I, I hope they do. Yeah, that's,
1: that, that's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity if you're a kid.
0: That's why you schedule a game chance. at Lambeau, yeah. right?
1: 90% chance you're never going to play in the NFL. You're never going to get a chance to do that again. It's one of the like, one of the institutional institutions of football, and you have an opportunity to do something really cool. Why would you not do it?
0: Totally agree. Absolutely. All right. Any other thoughts on college football before we wrap it up?
1: Um. No. I've gone on my soapbox once already this week. Um, if you're recently engaged and you're on the market planning your wedding, don't schedule it for the fall. I tell people this every year. I continue to have to tell people this. No fall weddings, people. Stop doing it. <laughs> it's selfish. It's rude. I have zero tolerance for it. That's it. That's my soapbox for the evening.
0: I agree with that as well. I've I've got a wedding coming up in uh, late October. I have not looked at the schedule for that week, but I'm already nervous because I I know this is uh, for the most part an NFL town, but I I think I'm with you and I think you'll at least agree with me on this, that uh, I, I greatly prefer watching college football and very excited to have it back in my life this weekend.
1: Yes, absolutely. I'm sorry, and I don't. I don't understand. I know that this is a a Browns town. I, I I say this every year, and I know you and I go on and on about it. How the Browns can continue to get the the support they get without bad they've been, while like you have a championship caliber team two hours to the south. You have a championship caliber team. Obviously, the Cavs have gotten a lot of support, but um, Ohio State's worth watching. The Browns aren't. Adjust accordingly, people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Ohio State's worth watching. And, and the fact of the matter is just by the sheer volume of games, there, there, there's always a game worth watching. There's
1: always one. Exactly. And it, it's like people – and one of my buddies, he's getting married next year. and uh, for That's the week that Ohio State plays UNLV. And he's like, oh, it's UNLV. It'll be a day game. It's like, A, you don't know when it is because the times haven't been announced yet. But assuming it is a day game. Crazy things happen. Teams lose. Do you want to get married the day that Ohio state chokes away some big game? I know I wouldn't want to. <laughs> and do you want like, if it's a three thirty game, the game doesn't end until seven o'clock. Do you want your guests showing up late? Cause I'm not going to be there till the game's over. And we both know that the party doesn't start till I get there. So what's the point here? Ah, it's, I don't know, man. It's, it's a, it's a big pet peeve of mine. I was lucky enough. I married, uh, obviously got married a couple weeks ago. And when we got married in December, she said, well, we can try to hurry up and do it by August or we can do it next year.
0: When you got engaged in December.
1: Yes. We got engaged last December and when we right. started talking about when we were going to get married, she said, okay, we can either get married, you know, seven months from now in August. Um, or we can just plan for next year. The idea of getting married in the fall never even crossed her mind. That's when I knew I had made the right decision.
0: That's a keeper right there. So Absolutely, good on you. All right, let's uh, let's get out of here. Um, we will uh, we'll be back next week with uh, some more Browns talk because I suppose we're gluttons for punishment, and we'll see if uh, anything interesting happens with the Indians between now and then. But uh, in the meantime. Everybody out there, make sure you're subscribed on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play Music, and uh, go like our Facebook page already. Um, I, think, uh, I think that'll about do it. So for Travis Julie, I am Tom Valentino. This has been The Nail, and uh, we will talk to you again next week.